I'm sure that many of you here know me, whether it's because I have been at Fourth Universalist for almost two years, or whether you are someone that I know from online that I invited to come hear this today. But I pose this question because it is a more complicated question than it seems at first. For me, growing up in the early 2000s as a closeted trans woman in the conservative parts of the Midwest, it was a particularly loaded question. For so many, the journey of coming out is a long and complicated process that involves so much struggling with this question of who am I, with figuring out one's sense of self. In particular, my late teens were a time of immense challenge in dealing with this question. So let's time travel a little bit. The year 2007, practically a different world. I was finishing up my first year of Bible college. I was visiting my family, flipping through the channels while I lounged on the sofa downstairs. I would often stop at MTV and VH1 looking for new music. They had made a move to a large amount of reality TV shows, but there was still, there was still a good bit of music on in the early 2000s. But on our cable TV, wedged in between VH1 and MTV, was the country music channel. And you see, none of my friends liked country music. In fact, pretty much everybody hated it. Uh, it was not cool to like country music in my friends group. People liked punk, rap, a lot of the emo and pop punk of the early 2000s. But country, we made fun of. And so, wanting to fit in while I was so deeply in the closet, I had to make fun of it too. But every once in a while, I would stop on that country channel in between. The second I heard someone coming down the stairs, I would, of course, quickly flip onto a different channel. But one of those times, I caught sight of someone playing who was roughly my age, playing the guitar, singing a song full of emotion, of love, and loss, and comparatively, I realized I felt emotionally dead from being in the closet. The video playing was Taylor Swift's Teardrops on My Guitar. And honestly, 15 years later, I'm not sure that I can explain it, but something clicked. The music was great, and I was impressed. There was something cool about her, Something deep inside my closeted spirit resonated with her, wanted to see her as a role model for where I could go in life. But I flipped the channel as someone came home and mentioned it to no one. I couldn't tell people that I liked her music. They might figure out that I was trans solely based off of that little tidbit of information. I could not show interest in anything remotely feminine. After all, when I was five, six, seven years old, I would not watch Mrs. Doubtfire because I was worried that liking it too much might give me away. I had to hide myself. I was so desperate to hide myself. I couldn't let myself enjoy things. And certainly not a teen girl singing country music. So did Taylor Swift directly cause me to come out? No. But 
Her music, for me, became so linked with my journey of self-acceptance. I remember, as I slogged through years of working in retail, humming along to songs like 22 and I Knew You Were Trouble, and I still have to resist the temptation when someone walks into the room to say, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. It took a while to break that habit. And then her album, 1989, became the soundtrack of my coming out in 2014 and 2015. Because of all this, today I wanted to use her music to consider how we define ourselves. Let's turn back the clock again, this time to 2006. Taylor Swift had just released her debut album at 16 years old. I'd like to look at the lyrics from her song, A Place in This World, which she began writing at 13 years old. She writes, I don't know what I want, so don't ask me, because I'm still trying to figure it out. Don't know what's down this road, I'm just walking, trying to see through the rain coming down. Even though I'm not the only one who feels the way I do, I'm alone on my own, and that's all I know. I'll be strong, I'll be wrong, oh, but life goes on. Oh, I'm just a girl trying to find a place in this world. To me, these words echo the teenager experience of the early 2000s, and perhaps of the time before and after. But I think that that feeling of struggling to find our own place in this world is something that while we talk about it a lot for teenagers, it's also something that so many of us struggle with at any age. I think in particular, this pandemic has been a time where many of us have run face first into this dilemma. In 2020, so many of our routines, our patterns, and our identities were disrupted. The things we did to distract ourselves and to numb ourselves, disrupted. The things we did for fun and our work routines and in New York City, our commutes, disrupted. When they were all paused or drastically changed and challenged, we were hit with this question, what is our place in this world? If we don't have our normal routines, then who are we? In the struggle of trying to find our own place and trying to define ourselves, the default can often be to turn to what others want and try and become the person that they want from us. And her song, The Lucky One, which we heard earlier in the service, released on the Red Album, she writes about this pressure to make ourselves into whatever it is that everyone desires. She writes, you had it figured out since you were in school. Everybody loves pretty, everybody loves cool. So overnight, you look like a 60s queen. Another name goes up in lights, like diamonds in the sky. And they'll tell you now, you're the lucky one. But is this person truly the lucky one? Does having fame, popularity, and the feeling of being cool bring fulfillment? It definitely can bring a rush of feeling rewarded, a feeling important to others. But when hard times come, and they will, are we fulfilled if we have only made ourselves into what others want? When challenges come, will that popularity stick around? 
Will you feel like what you did was what you wanted? It does not seem like a healthy or a good way to establish our identity based on what others want. That is not an identity built on solid ground. And for Taylor Swift, she found herself trapped in the limitations of being a country artist. Her music was making some inroads into pop culture, but many did not believe that she could make the jump into pure pop music. Despite being young and new at this time, the music industry was already placing limitations on who she could be. When we put ourselves in these boxes for other people, this popularity that we may gain there, it can stop us and hold us back from growing and becoming fully ourselves. It will place us in others' boxes and not in our own identities. So how do we leave behind preconceived notions and embrace who we want to be? You might want to shake it off. Excellent, Sean. So we've jumped forward from 2006 and 2007 to the second half of 2014, when she made the jump to pop music with her album, 1989. 2014 was coincidentally the year that I decided to make my own jump in my identity and transition into a more whole expression of myself as a trans woman to publicly be out and so this album has a lot of special meaning to me in my own journey of self-identification. The New York Times wrote glowingly about this change, saying that she is aspiring to something even higher, a mode of timelessness that few true pop stars even bother aspiring to. So she moved from these limitations, broke them, and found acclaim. And the positivity, the dare I say it, good vibes of this album, besides catapulting her to a level of superstardom, also helped me on my journey to say that I was done hiding the things that I liked, that I was done always putting myself into boxes for other people's comfort, especially around my identity as a trans woman, and that I wanted to live for myself, live for loving myself. And this was a crucial shift in understanding my own identity. We move through so many phases of our lives, but it is crucial and so important to make sure that we haven't trapped ourselves into identities that we've made for others. And making these shifts, finding this more true version of ourselves, it can bring so many positive changes. Perhaps, though, it brings both good and bad attention. Surely coming out brought intense expressions of support but also brought people cutting me out of their lives. Leaving behind our old expressions of ourself is not always going to be easy. It can be challenging. For Taylor, even in superstardom brought on through embracing this new music style, there were pitfalls to celebrity. These pitfalls led to a reevaluation of who she trusted and how she put herself out in the world, including a social media break. She had to search for who truly cared about her. In her song, Delicate, from her album, Reputation, she writes, Is it for the best? My reputation's 
special shout out at this moment for our amazing music team today who uh, helped me uh, with making this service uh, amazing. Even in shaking off our old limitations, we are often stuck with this struggle to still find those that like me for me. People's expectations on us are never going to stop. As a trans woman, even as I embraced authenticity, I can speak to how the public will expect endless expressions of authenticity that slowly grinds you down. And that is why it's so important to surround yourself with friends and with community that embrace you as you truly are. We have to find and have spaces that we can exist in our identities without constant struggle. Following critical sliding of the Reputation album, in 2019, she released the Lover album, dedicated to love in its various forms. In the final track, Daylight, which we heard from in our opening words today, and which I will share again, she writes, I want to be defined by the things that I love, not the things that I hate, not the things that I'm afraid of, not the things that haunt me in the middle of the night. I just think you are what you love. So in our journey of considering how we define and understand our identity, we've journeyed from feeling out of place to embracing these new versions of ourselves. But when it comes down to it, how do we define ourselves? What is the grounding for this process? And in these lyrics, I think we find the answer. Love. We should find our identity in loving ourselves. We should find our identity in embracing the things we love. It's okay to like and enjoy things. We should find our identity in surrounding ourselves with those who love and care for us. We should find our identity in loving the good we see in ourselves and in the world, even when that is challenging. At Fourth Universalist, I think about how we've defined our communal identity recently with making a new mission statement, as well as engaging in a lot of justice work. These define our identity as a community here. And these actions should be, and I believe are, motivated by love. A love for our community, both here and online. A love for the people around us, for our wider New York City community, and for the world. In our own self-identification, this love needs to flow into actions. As we embrace love and come to better understand ourselves, we must then turn to expressing our love through our actions and our lives. That is how people will come to know who we truly are. There will be times when we think we have it all figured out. Uncertainty will make us comfortable, but challenges will come, and we shouldn't fear the opportunity to grow. To come to a deeper and more authentic version of ourselves, this will happen over and over, and it's good to continue this process. We must blaze our own path, our own way. As Taylor Swift prepared to tour this Lover album, the world came to a standstill in 2020 with COVID. 
For so many musicians and artists, the pandemic shut down plans that had been years in the making. But in this moment, Taylor Swift embraced her imagination and her reputation for lyrical storytelling and released two brand new albums in the midst of lockdown, Folklore and Evermore. She also began a quest to own her own stories, in a sense, owning her identity, by re-releasing two of her old albums so that she can own the masters of her work. Even in challenging moments, we must find new ways to ground ourselves, to claim our identity, to express ourselves and express our identities. We must embrace and keep defining and telling these stories of ourselves. We must find ways to share ourselves with the world around us. We must find ways to share ourselves with friends. We must find community. When she announced this folklore album, Taylor wrote on Instagram, in isolation, my imagination has run wild, and this album is the result. A collection of songs and stories that flowed like a stream of consciousness. Picking up a pen was my way of escaping into fantasy, history, and memory. I've told these stories to the best of my ability. With all the love, wonder, and whimsy they deserve. Now it is up to you to pass them down. So I challenge all of you listening, whether online or in person, may we tell our stories. May we define ourselves. May we pass our stories down. May we hold space in community. May we hold space in our lives. May we hold space for both ourselves and for others to figure out their identities. And may we hold space to own our own stories and own our own sense of self. May we have the space to explore, to be real and authentic, and share our truths with the world around us. May we find ourselves. May it be so. Hi, everybody. You might be noticing that uh, it's someone other than Ember introducing the uh, getting the message section of the video this weekend. Uh, and that is because Ember is preaching our sermon uh, on Sunday. So I am Ben Haney. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the Sunday associate at Fourth Universalist uh recently a field ed student at uh fourth U. I'm going into my third year uh at Union Theological Seminary and since Ember is going to be giving us the message uh on Sunday I figured uh or we figured that I could come in and help us get the message. So Ember, it is a privilege to be maybe the first person to welcome you to getting the message. How are I you doing? It might be the case. I think there might have been one 
back in 2020 that when we were first kicking this off that I did the um, the reflection at a multi-generational service and it's possible that that's been the only other time that that someone welcomed me but that was really early on so people might not remember so we'll go with your your theory that you are the first you are the first <laughs> cool cool I'm just after after glory that's the only that's, reason no. <laughs> it's fair it's fair well and even uh, as you as you're introducing me there and um, you use the word sermon. I've I've shared um, word of of my talk this weekend widely amongst uh, some online friends and uh, connections and mm -hmm. Facebook friends. And so I, I debated like you know what word to use because oftentimes we use reflection, we use sermon, mm. we use message. We um, I, and I had people being like, uh, you know. Do I have to be religious to go to this? I'm like, no, like don't worry. This is a this is a UUA church. Like, you don't mm -hmm. gotta you don't gotta fit any sort of religious box to actually come and, and hear this. And um, there is, in fact, I don't think very much um, interaction with any of the typical sacred texts. Well, yeah, and we're gonna get into that we'll get into for that. sure. I, it was really exciting to to get the opportunity yeah. to to come uh, share a message as as a formal, like, technically this is a weekend off. And uh, so um, I had the opportunity since I was not doing normal RE stuff to be the person to fill in for part of our summer worship. And yeah, I really enjoyed the chance to get to go with something completely, completely different than perhaps what people were expecting. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very cool and, and like interestingly crafted message. So, Building off of that, what inspired this? So I was asked if I would be interested in covering for this weekend. And, um, you know, shocker to not very many people um, that, that know me well. Um, I mean, it was like, can I make this about Taylor Swift? <laughs> and... But then actually, as I, you know, at first maybe jokingly thought about that idea, I then was like, you know what, I think there actually is something here about like identity and about how we understand ourselves and relating it to my own, my own story, like, uh, you know, which makes sense for, for Pride Month with June being Pride Month to relate it to how um, her music helped me in like my own self-discovery journey um, and how all of us, whether it's, whether we're, um, LGBTQ or not, um, we, we go on these journeys of self-discovery in our lives. And um, I think that there's, you know, just a lot of common shared experience there that is useful to be discussed. And so I thought it would be an interesting topic to go with, uh, but also, you know, fun in terms of my reputation, um, which precedes me. <laughs> and um, I, I was talking with some of my students in the, in the RE program I said, hey, guys, like, guess what? I get to preach on the 19th. And this pro probably proves how well the kids of the program know me. Uh, instantly, they were both like, so is it going to be about Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I feel a little called out. And um, they said, no, you should feel like we know you. That's, don't feel called out. Feel like we know yeah. you. <laughs> hey, I mean, it can be both. Often things are both. <laughs> right that's fair it's fair we're called out by those that know us best yes yes and maybe we're maybe we're known best by those that call us out sometimes <laughs> um 
That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, the topic of Pride Month is something that I'm, I'm glad that we're, um, you know, celebrating it at 4th U with this message. Um, can you speak at all to, like, the timing of it? Um, and I'm just really interested in, like, how um, you relate to, like, this message being delivered now. Both, like, during Pride Month, maybe during this moment of, like, history and in the progression of the pandemic and all of that like i think that there's there's just so much in giving a sermon about the discovery of identity um at all of these overlapping moments in time i mean you know for for starters there's the most obvious answer which is this is the weekend i was asked to do it <laughs> gotta go for the obvious first um, and I know, like, we do have a more fully official Pride service uh, next week, uh, but it felt like it was—it felt like it was important to, um, you know, I, I've delivered one other message in my time here, and uh, I think, in a sense, that it was, uh, you know, I, I started by asking, "Who am I?" Like, it's uh, uh, you know, introducing myself in a way with the message um, and talking, you know, I, some people have heard my story in bits and pieces throughout like my two years here, but this is a way to more like comprehensively talk about like my coming out process a little bit. Um, it's not the main focus of the sermon, but like it does have bits and pieces mm -hmm. here and there where it, it ties into my own journey. And, um, but related to like the bigger world picture, I mean, I talk a lot about in it about how the pandemic kind of shook a lot of us out of our out of our systems of comfort, um, shook us out of um, things that kept us kind of like, okay, we have our routines, we know how life works, I have my plan, 40 years from now I'll retire, um, you know, all, you know, we, um, everything was like a streamlined path and then all of a sudden, boom, like this, this huge disruption of everything we knew. And I think that's yeah. part of the same reason why there's this huge push for like the return to normal is that people want to get back to their old plans. They don't want um, things disrupted. So it feels like, um, you know, I, I offer this message so that people have in this historical moment, like have the possibility to st step back and think about what is core to defining them and to realize, you know, we don't need the, the plans, the things, like we need to like have this deeper understanding of our sense of self. Yeah. Yeah, that's really profound and speaks to the moment that we're in very, very directly. And you approached that really creatively. You know, by the time that this comes out, folks will have seen the um, the the message delivered. And so people will know that the, the, the text that you worked with as your... Um, sacred text yes yeah what you what you worked with as your sacred text as your point of reflection was um you know a series of selections of song lyrics from taylor swift's albums over the years could you i, I mean how what was that like to work with um these lyrics as your um as your your primary kind of sacred material yeah, you know, I think in my two years at Fourth, obviously, like I've talked about, like my conservative Christian upbringing, I've attended all the solstices, I've, um, you know, mm -hmm. um, helped uh, uh, behind the scenes with uh, 
pulling together some of the volunteers for Hanukkah. So, you know, I think people maybe wonder, like, where exactly does Ember fall on the, on the religious spectrum? But it turns mm-hmm. out, you know, Swiftianity is, is probably where <laughs> I, would, I would place myself. No, um, but it was interesting to use, you know, I think it's something that I've set a precedent for with the Contemplating Pop Culture series. I am someone who likes to interact with pop culture as a sacred text. That mm-hmm. you know, the things that are important to us as a culture, are important to us as, as individuals, that they can really say a lot about, like developing our value systems and what's important to us. Um, and so, um, it was really great. You know, so I, <clears throat> I, I listen to Taylor Swift a lot. Um, I believe my my Apple Music number, as I check the weekly um, numbers. I think it was somewhere around like the 540s in hours. So I've like listened to multiple weeks worth of Taylor Swift so far this year. Um, but it was fun to, to challenge myself to think of like um, a narrative of songs, both for like the, the readings and like the opening and closing words. Um, yeah. But like to, as I put together the, the, the sermon itself, to think about how to tie them together, both like in her narrative of her work, but also to tie them together in in this journey of self-discovery for folks. Um, mm-hmm. and I think, um, you know, I think, I wanna say I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the worship script off the top of my head right now, but uh, Mirror Ball is included as one of the, I think the opening words, um, but uh, it, it is not like the main reading, but yet it's the name of the sermon. Because, you know, for me, that was uh, uh, the song that kind of really got me thinking about this as a potential topic. Because, you know, a mirror ball is this disco ball that you're reflecting back to everybody exactly what you want them to see. Um, so that, to me, really uh, talks a lot about, like, this this conception of identity. Like, you know, are we simply these, these mirror balls that everybody's just projecting onto us or that we're projecting back out onto them? And... Uh, or are we coming to like this this deeper understanding of of self? And then the the text I chose for the actual reading from from daylight um, is kind of like a little spoken word thing at the end. And she's talking about um, how she wants to be defined and be known and by the things that um, she loves, by the things you know that love is then acted out in action. And I think um, you know I think that like the songs that we listen to, not just Taylor Swift, you know, I'm sure whatever your favorite band is, Ben, um, uh, that that it, with most bands lyrics, even a lot of pop music, there there is meaning to be found there. There's a reason why these songs resonate with people. There's a reason why um, people, um, you know, are so interested in them is because there's something in the core of them. Like, yes, there's catchy tunes. Yes, there's really good production. Those things help. But, you know, songs will break it big just from like being something that people find relatable, which is, you know, kind of becoming a little bit of a trend nowadays in a lot of pop music where it's suddenly like this, just like very specific storytelling. Like, I called you, you didn't answer. I hung up on you. Like, you know, it's, it's very specific, like, um, mm-hmm. um, very specific. It's, it's been called like the TikTok style um, of, of music. Um, and... <laughs> It, um, mm-hmm. I know people try to peg someone like uh, Olivia Rodrigo for like kind of being the originator of it. I I actually like her music quite a bit, but that, so that's 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 up for debate of who. But there, you know, that sort of um, very specific narrative um, driven music is suddenly becoming popular. It's also being kind of 
popified a little bit more, mm-hmm. but um, so many lyrics, you know, like music resonates with people and um you know there, there's a reason why one whole book of the hebrew scriptures is music um yeah because this is yeah. what this is this is a human experience and i and i think across religions that like singing chanting um gregorian chant in the catholic church um all of these things are were ways of like connecting with what they saw as holiness what they saw as divinity um, and music touches that that place deep inside of us. Um, so I think I think that it's useful for really diving into to thinking about meaning, to think about music as a sacred text. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really good to to acknowledge that that's a place where we can go, and it's powerful to have that recognized from from the pulpit. Um, because I think that um, people might have some some trepidation about how important um, poppy stuff is to them. Like so I think sometimes people feel, you know, like maybe it should. You you speak to the the commodification of authenticity right. in your sermon, and. Um, when I think about that idea, one of the things that comes up is that there's, you know, it's, there are these presumptions about what authenticity has to look like, or, you know, the bounds of what it can look like. And the reality is that we, we have to kind of make ourselves and our, our self conceptions and things like that out of the materials mm-hmm. that the world presents for us to, to work with and there are innate things as well but we're kind of we're working with like the the, the tools of expression um that that are present to us um and making sure that like people know like no you can have these like really profound experiences with something that everybody hears on the radio and not everyone relates to in the same way right. um and that you know, you can um, grow as a person alongside, um, like, your your understanding of these ideas. Right. Well, I think, you know, while there's, there is the, the popification of authenticity that, like, these really specific um, stories and ideas are being sold is like, look, isn't this relatable? Please listen to my music. <laughs> I also think that there is, um, mm-hmm. like, the other direction of, of the hipsterification of authenticity, that you're only authentic if you only, like, completely original things and really niche topics and, yeah um you you can't you know if you admit to like liking a popular show if you admit to liking a popular artist then it's like, mm-hmm. like are, are you are you sure you're not a sellout like you know i think that you know i talk about it at the beginning of the message um that like that was that was the case for like me back in 2006 that i was like like besides being in the closet that i was like i can't i can't watch country music that's not cool like um, mm-hmm. um and or i can't um admit to i remember i I i've told this story before um but i remember lincoln park's faint um the song on meteora Mm -hmm. meteora had just come out we had all got like the cds as friends and we were sitting around in study hall the next day and we all had like at least listened to it a little bit and uh we were sitting around discussing it and um someone was like i don't really know i don't really think i like faint and 
another friend uh, was like, no, I thought it was really good. And then all of a sudden the whole group shifted like, yeah, yeah, actually, no, I really liked that song. (laughs) (laughs) Even the person who originally said they weren't really sure they liked it, you know, um, so <laughs> we, I, we all get influenced by others, whether we like it or not. Um, I totally feel that. I've had that experience like over the course of years with Maroon 5's first album. I love songs about Jane. They're, that's their first album. It's with like the red kind of like burgundy uh, cover. Was, uh, what's, what song was big? What was their first Will Be Loved is on there. There's this another love. one before that. There was a little bit like more like edgy i think wasn't there yeah, that's this love i think a little bit like angstier i'll have to i'll have to look it up um yeah let's see if I'm, I, really I remember liked... the same like i remember being like oh this isn't half bad and then all of a sudden i really left. liked that album and i told i remember telling my friends that and they were like Ugh, like that. and then like over the like the course of the years it like it, like people have changed and like their their opinion of that album and especially like i you know, I love hip hop and I grew up in a very, like, I grew up like right off of the the north side of Chicago in a very like hip hop focused um, culture. And a lot of rappers worked with Maroon 5 um, and their lead singers specifically after that. And so people have like kind of revised their opinion on like specifically that first album. They're like, oh, wow. Like, songs about jane is really really good like what and i'm like i i told you (laughs) i think i think i saw a video the other day that was uh um someone saying like you know when i was an emo kid back in the 2000s i don't remember there being this many self-proclaimed emo kids because now now like everybody's like oh i was so emo back in the day i listened to to Mm. this band you know Mm -hmm. people like to revise and, and reclaim and reclaim things uh, no, it's fascinating, and I think mm-hmm. you know. I feel like with this with this message, I just I wanted to give people permission to like things and to talk about yeah. the things that they like. Like, if we can do that from the pulpit, you can do that any time in your life to like not not be ashamed to just like things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I think that's a really good note for us to go out on. Um, yeah. Thank you for for sharing this with us and for having this conversation today. And thanks for interviewing me. Oh, yeah. It's been fun. Bye, everybody. Bye.